Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And I'm always so glad when you join in and listen. And today I have such a very special guest that I'm so excited to have on the air. And I know you are going to be so glad to hear him. And you probably are very familiar with him. This is Dr. Randy Carlson, and he is the president of Family Life Communications Incorporated. He also oversees the ministries of Intentional Living, which is Parent Talk Incorporated, and Family Life Radio. Now, he's written and co-authored five books, Unlocking the Secrets of Your Childhood Memories, Parent Talk, Father Memories, The Cain and Abel Syndrome, The Power of One Thing, and then Starved for Affection, which is actually the book that we are going to talk about today. So when it comes to parenting and marriage and other relationship issues, people are really turning to uh, Dr. Carlson. And he also hosts um, a daily daily call-in program syndicated to radio stations that are nationwide. So he is a licensed family and marriage therapist with a doctorate in counseling and psychology, and he's done this for 26 years. And he shares incredible wisdom and encouragement and comfort from God's Word with people who call in daily to this intentional living program. So he's married to his wife, Donna. They have three grown children, six grandchildren, and they reside in Tucson, Arizona. So Dr. Carlson, I am so glad that you're here today. Please just say hi to the listeners. Well, hey, listen, thank you, Cynthia. It's uh, glad to be with you today. And after hearing that introduction, I can't wait to hear myself. (laughs) Isn't that always funny? When people read your own bio, you're like, wow, (laughs) is that me? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So I'm so glad that you're here today calling in and I'm really excited about this book, Starred for Affection. I've read it, and um, I know that it is going to be something that I also give to my clients and encourage them, because it really is a book that couples can read together and work through together, which it's not necessarily done in a real workbook format, but it has a lot of that questioning and answering and, and lots of room to talk. So what was this book hard to write for you? Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you where it came from. Uh, I did a tape, a CD, many years ago uh, on affection, and I, I really saw it resonate. We had so many responses of people who were saying, that's exactly what I'm feeling in my marriage. And people were, and so I started to develop a list of what are some of the symptoms of people feeling like they're starved for affection. And uh, as I collected the list, I saw things like uh, the question like, do you feel close or distant from your spouse? Do you feel passionate or mechanical? Is your behavior towards your spouse spontaneous or routine? Are you emotionally full or emotionally empty? And as we started to get response, I realized that there was a need to talk about the, uh, the feeling side of love. You know, we talk about love as a as an action, which it is, and we need to be very proactive in loving one another in our marriage. But I find a lot of people who are married and uh, they want to make their marriage work, and they're not, quote, in trouble necessarily in their marriage, but it's like uh, they're feeling starved for the sense of being touched by their spouse 
in a way that, that matters, feeling like they're connected at the emotional feeling side of the relationship. So when I wrote this book, um, it was really out of a passion of, of working with people on my radio program and in my conferences and so on, seeing that people were, uh, they could identify with this feeling of uh, star for affection. I think that's amazing. And and maybe you could elaborate a little bit more on the word affection, because I don't think that people always understand what affection, what that really entails. We know what love is, for, per se, yeah, and, and commitment and being connected. But affection is this really overarching uh, concept. Yeah, to me, affection is really the feeling side of love. Um, you know, when you affect a person... Uh, you change them, you move them. There's an impact. We, you know, we can impact people in many ways, but when we have an effect on a person, we move them. And in marriage, we want to move them toward us. We want to move them to be closer to us. And of course, my friend Gary Chapman wrote the book The Five Love Languages, and he, you know, he outlined some of the things that we can do to affect our spouse. You know, words of affirmation and so on and so on. And I think when we, in our marriage, if we really want to have an affectionate marriage, I'm not talking about just sex. I mean, that's part of it. We're not just talking about, you know, kissy face stuff. That may be part of it, too. (laughs) But we're talking about being able to impact each other in a way and affect each other in a way that draws us closer, helps us feel more secure, more confident, um, uh, more open to explore our world the way God created us to be and so on. So like you say, it's an over, I like that, it's an overarching concept uh, under which all of these other things in marriage, I think, really flow. Well, you know, as I hear you say that, I had this thought that I didn't really put it together until you were talking in that way, is is that, you know, I have many, you know, singles that oftentimes say, well, you know, how do you not get bored with somebody? And and then I have marriages that they feel like, you know, it's kind of dried up and and one and, and their sex life is not working, and so maybe they're doing things sexually to try to you know get a spark going, and they're bored. And and so many times, what I'm saying to people is, when people are growing, and each doing their own personal growth, then the relationship is always new. And so a lot of what you're talking about, this whole term of affection, has a lot to do with how we are affecting one another in a positive manner that continues to make the relationship new and exciting and vibrant, even if there's pain involved. Absolutely. And sometimes I think as um, as men and women, and I know that you have a real passion for the differences in genders. Yes. <laughs> and we, see life, we, we see life differently. And I think uh, many times men in particular will say, well, my wife is, you know, saying I don't love her enough. She may not use the word affection, but uh, I know the Harleys did research and found that affection was the number one need of a woman. Right. And men are thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm working and I'm doing my thing and I I'm kind, and I'm helping with the kids, and I'm cleaning up the house, and I'm doing things. And sometimes that creates a, a feeling of, what more can I do? I mean, I just have to keep doing more and more and more to make her happy, when I don't think it's the quantity in any of our relationship that makes the difference. It's really the quality. When my wife, Donna, knows what's important to me, and in little ways um, shows respect, or in little ways touches me in ways that uh, I want to be touched emotionally and otherwise. Uh, that shows affection. That shows that she cares. It shows that that I matter to her. And I think this thing of showing affection in marriage is not a matter of just the quantity, but uh, but the quality of knowing your spouse well enough that you do affect them in a way that it matters. I think that is so powerful. And 
you know, I when I give um, gender, the di- you know, differences with genders, when I give that presentation, one of the things I talk to people about is the vast hardwiring of men and women. And, and I'll say to them, you know, you'll, you'll adjust for a pet, but you won't even make those adjustments for this different gender. And you'll learn your children and you'll learn your pet, but you don't take time to really learn your spouse. Boy, that's so true. You know, when the I think of the, I think of a uh, there's a passage in the New Testament in First Peter that talks about uh, husbands live with your wife according to knowledge. Oh, that's and, good. Yes. And that that particular passage really reminds me often in the real practical sense, smart people in their in their marriages are smart enough to know their spouse so they can help meet their needs. Frankly, it's going to make your marriage happier. It's going to make your life happier. It's going to make everything that you do happier. And so I really think smart people are people who choose to uh, show affection to one another in their marriage and make their marriage a place uh, where, there's, where there's a lot of positive uh, affection going on. Well, you know, I was thinking about that when I, when I was reading this book about you have this, this uh, comment that you make at the very end, and it says, um, where did I have it? It says, marriage has, has a life, it's on page 263, it's right at the very end in the part about soul mating, and it says, marriage has a life of its own and needs to be nurtured. And, and I, I really love that because when I'm talking to, to uh, couples, I say to them, you know, your marriage is its own entity that you have created that's unique to you. Nobody else can do your marriage, and, and it needs to be nurtured and grown the same way that, you know, we do plants. It's like you don't wait till the plant is wilted and then deluge it with water and it ends up getting root rot, right? It's this constant tending and learning what it needs and what ingredients it needs and how to make it really flourish. In fact, uh, you know, that's absolutely true, Cynthia. We did a marriage conference uh, this last year, I think it was. We we titled it uh, Love Your Marriage. Ah. Um, and the reason we did that is because sometimes you don't feel that much like you're loving your spouse. <laughs> yes, exactly. But if you understand that your marriage is unique, it's you and your spouse, you are unique people. You're bringing to the table, like you suggest, the gender differences, which are huge. And I think misunderstood mis- uh, and not, not uh, appreciated as much as they should be. But then you look at all the other differences. You're bringing your family background, your genetic differences, your history. Yes. And so on in, into the marriage. If we can make a commitment to say, I'm not only going to love my spouse, but I'm going to love my marriage because I want to do this thing right. And uh, to make the marriage work, I know it's going to take some effort, but you can do it. But it, but one of the keys is this whole thing of uh, making affection uh, a part of your marriage. I think that's amazing because it's part of the building block of the nurturing uh, uh, of an entity. And when you say, you know, love your marriage, it's kind of like, it, it's different. It's it, Semantically, it may not seem as different, but it, you know, if I love my marriage versus I love my spouse, it, it has a whole different feel to it. Now, now we have about one minute, but if you can just elaborate on the difference between loving your spouse versus loving your marriage. Well, I think that, you know, I, I think it comes back to a, a, a person, uh, Maybe right now you're not feeling very happy with your spouse. Right. Maybe you know, some things are going on in the relationship. You feel hurt or disrespected. Maybe it is that uh, they're changing um, over time. You know, we're not the same people 20 years in the marriage as we are when we get started. And it's easy to start focusing on the person and their flaws, seeing the things that we don't like in them. And then we project that onto our marriage in terms of our commitment and so on. 
Oh, but if I we th- say, if we're going to really say, I'm going to love my marriage, I realize that this is a commitment I've made. I'm going to really work at it because I know it's the right thing to do. That's going to help change my attitude in saying, hey, I got to then make some changes how I approach and respond to my spouse. I think that's excellent. It's kind of like the loving your marriage is more um, proactive versus when I love my spouse and I'm not really feeling very much love for them. It's more of an in-the-moment, I want to change them. But we can certainly, we're going to pick up on this when we come back. So I'm so glad that you're here. And this is uh, Dr. Randy Carlson is with us today. This is uh, Conversations with Cynthia. And I would love it if you would go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. You can find this as a podcast if you have not been able to listen to the show in its entirety. So join me in the next segment with Dr. Randy Carlson. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. This is Cynthia Hyatt, and today I have a very special guest, which I know you're going to really enjoy, and it is Dr. Randy Carlson. And I have him um, on air here talking about his book, Starved for Affection, which I think is so powerful and so poignant in today's world. So I really encourage you to listen in, and if you are not able to hear the show in its entirety, you can always go to my website at CynthiaHyatt.com and listen to the podcast. So, Dr. Carlson, thank you again for being here. Oh, my, my privilege. Thank you. Well, and we kind of left off talking about this whole difference between loving my spouse, loving my marriage, and why that might be kind of a breakthrough for some people to do. Uh, it, it is uh, for people. Because it's, a, it's a different way of looking at it. Um, and maybe today as you think about your spouse and, and your marriage, you look at your spouse, and frankly, there's some things that just really turn you off. You're not happy. And and there's some things that need to be addressed. Now, obviously, if there's really serious matters of abuse or an addiction of some sort or so on, these things need to be confronted. But sometimes the issues are just, you know, we're, we're not as in love as we used to be, and we're so busy. We're doing so many different things, and I'm not as attracted to them as I used to be. And uh, in the book, Star for Affection, I, I wrote a list of some of the roadblocks that I think people face in their marriage. Uh, when they do, what happens is they, they start blaming their spouse. Sometimes they sit and wait for something to change. They they may fantasize about getting out or, or become manipulative and passive-aggressive in the relationship. And what I did in Chapter 8 in this book, I talked a little bit about what I called active respect. Um, and what I mean by that, Cynthia, is if there's some issues in your marriage that need to be addressed that are roadblocks from having intimacy and affection in your marriage, they need to be addressed. And you can do it actively. You can do it respectfully. And uh, the very, you know, the very first thing a person needs to do in their marriage is to be proactive. And I, that's why I say focusing on the marriage is saying I am committed to the marriage. I want to make this marriage work. I believe in marriage. I know marriages have uh, tough, tough times. I guess you could look at it in like in a business setting. Just because you're having a problem with an employee. Um, and they're going through a difficult time, you don't close down the business. Absolutely. Um, That's a great you know, analogy. And you have to work some things through. Now, if you if it's you and your spouse in the business working together and you can't get things worked out, it may destroy the business and the marriage. Right. But, but you focus on solving the problems. And I think sometimes um, that begins by being proactive, uh, not just throwing up your hands, walking away, giving up, getting angry. Uh, showing disrespect back and so on. 
but taking what I call active respect. And here, here's the message. I love you so much is a message to your spouse that I'm willing to hold us and you accountable in this marriage to some situations and issues that need to be addressed. Um, and that becomes very, to me, it becomes very focused on a commitment to make this marriage work. You know, it's kind of like when you say that, it's like solving the problem versus changing the person. Exactly. And I think that it could be a really important message for people. I, I love this idea of active respect. I, I like the term and when I was reading about it, because it, what it really encourages people is this idea of boundaries. And boundaries are not obviously about what I'm going to make you do. It's about what, what I'm going to do and how far I'm going to go and how committed I'm going to be and, and how willing I am to forgive, how much I, I am willing to actively address those things that aren't working and doing them in a way that is respectful and loving because I'm loving the marriage and I'm not wanting that, that entity to die. And so I'm wanting to encourage my spouse and myself to be the people we need to be to make that marriage work. Now, one of the things, one of the things I did, you're right, Cynthia, one of the things I was trying to, to really articulate, I think, in this book was the idea that affection is not just one thing. It's not just one singular activity. It's, uh, in fact, I have chapters on shared vision. I think there's something that really happens in a marriage that's very affectionate when a husband and wife can sit down and talk about the future, where they want to go, what they want to do. Um, I think that uh, when there's passion, of course, in a marriage, it makes a difference. When there's tenderness, uh, when there's closeness, uh, uh, when there's contentment and trust, and uh, when they're on the same page uh, spiritually, I think these things are all a part of this package, Cynthia, of if two adults can sit down and say, there was a time when we really were in love with each other, mm-hmm. things were going really good. I mean, obviously we got married, we thought things were going to be okay, and just be mature enough to get the proverbial cards on the table face up and say, hey, there are some differences that we're bringing to this marriage. And yes, we do have some communication challenges that we need to work through. That's why I'm such an advocate of couples who are struggling to uh, go into counseling, you know, to see someone like you, Cynthia, to, to, to go into a conference and learn some things about marriage. We spend time learning about so many things in our lifetime, just spending some time really learning about how marriage is designed to work and then working it intentionally uh, is a powerful thing. I think you're so, you're so accurate. And listeners, I really want to encourage you to get this book, Start for Affection, because it, it is a really wonderful guide in terms of all the components that go into a healthy marriage. And it's done in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming. So it isn't just this you know, step-by-step formula workbook thing. It really gives some, uh, you, you do a really good job, Randy, of making a very nebulous kind of ambiguous concept of affection and, and making it more literal. And, and I think that's really powerful. I, and I like um, the equation that you made up. I just think that was so powerful. So talk about your equation, the expectation minus reality, you know, or expectation minus reality right. equals disappointment. I think that's what it is. Yes, it is, yes. And, okay. and that and that particular formula, I think, works ab- about in every area of life. Not only marriage, it works in our work environment. Yes. It works in our own personal life and our faith and every area. It will help but you it, know. It will help me with my driving. Yeah. <laughs> now that I just think about it, <laughs> have real, realistic expectations exactly. of other people on I on I right? Exactly. Um, because expectations minus reality equal disappointment. 
and I would go on to say disappointment if you don't deal with disappointment, because that's sort of a, a fork in the road for many marriages. When you get feeling disappointed, you can either move toward you know, resolution, agreement, forgiveness, closeness, intimacy, or uh, some marriages will move from disappointment into disillusionment, feeling disillusioned, yes. discouraged, and then giving up. And so with that little formula, uh, there's only two things we can change to reduce disappointment. We either change our expectations or we change reality. Or we get into reality. That's right, exactly. And we face reality. And right. When we do face reality, we're changing it. As we change That's it, right. that formula then will automatically take care of itself. And uh, so that that formula is a powerful one. It's, it's the way life is wired. And I, I, I can't imagine any of us have not had moments when we were uh, not having our expectations met in marriage. And we know that marriage is uh, the divorce rate, especially in the first seven to eight years, is pretty high because I think uh, couples get married with a certain set of expectations that don't get uh, don't get lived up to. Well, and I, I think, you know, it has a lot to do with this idea of expectation that one of the reasons we have so many people living together is we have lower expectations when we live I together. And and so we're kind of coming up on a hard break. And so I really want to talk a little bit more about this whole idea about reality because we have a culture right now that struggles with reality. And we kind of have taken this idea of you can be whatever you want to be and we've kind of done it on crack. So we're we're really struggling with this idea. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me in this hour with Dr. Carlson. Always visit me on Facebook. That's Cynthia Hyatt. Inc. INC for Incorporated. You can also visit my Facebook, I mean, my, I'm sorry, my website at CynthiaHyatt.com for the rest of this show. So join me again in the next segment. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. This is Cynthia Hyatt, and today I have a very special guest, Dr. Randy Carlson, on air today, and we are talking about his wonderful book, Starved for Affection. So before we kind of get into this, uh, Dr. Carlson, could you just give the listeners a way to get a hold of you and to listen to your daily radio show? Because I know you have so many wonderful things that help people. Well, thank you, uh, Cynthia. The, I do a daily program called Intentional Living. It's uh, broadcast live every day at 11 a.m. across the country and around the world online. And uh, locally at 90.3 FM on Family Life Radio, you can check out our website at uh, theintentionallife.com, theintentionallife.com. And uh, we're just really committed to helping people live intentionally in their faith. We believe in this day and age, Cynthia, that uh, if we believe it, we better live it. There's a lot of voices out there yelling at us. Absolutely. So we kind of left off on this wonderful equation that you were teaching us about um, expectations minus reality equals disappointment and could possibly even lead to disillusionment. So yeah, it, it does. Yeah. And I think, the, I think the key to that is being aware of the fact, Cynthia, that um, if we don't grow up, if we don't get to a place in our life where we just take personal responsibility, one of the first laws that we teach on intentional living is taking 100% personal responsibility until we stop and look inward and see who we are, what, what's our contribution to the problem in our marriage. Uh, we're, we're never going to grow. And it's an unfortunate thing to see a person live a whole lifetime in that kind of a mediocre lifestyle. 
You know, and I think that that's one of the reasons that God has developed marriage. I mean, one of the reasons he enters into that with us through Christ is that that level of commitment encourages people at, and, and offers what we want to have is a safe place to really be able to look at myself and what do I really need to take responsibility for and what are changes and character issues that, that God really wants to change in me, to mold and shape me, and that I have a partner that sees how hard I'm working on it and supports me in it, encourages me in it, and, and I can be loved in spite of it. You know, there's a passage in Ephesians 5.21 that says we are to be mutually submissive one to another. Um, and I think that's the prerequisite for a good marriage. It's a, it's a willingness to submit, I believe, to God first, as, as he has ordained uh, marriage to work, and then be willing to submit to one another. But as you know, as a counselor, I think we all have intentions of doing that. Right. Many of us do, but then we get into the reality of the problem or the reality of the day, and then we, 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 uh, we find ourselves getting off track. You know, I, I'm married. I work with married people. You're married. You've done marriage conferences for you know, decades here and, and seen many clients and you have wonderful um, case studies in your books. And, you know, what, what do you find that, you know, for that person that's listening right now that is really feeling hopeless about their marriage, hopeless about resurrecting it or making it work, and maybe they're even contemplating divorce? Well, time, you know, doesn't heal everything, but I'll tell you what, the perspective is very helpful and whenever you're feeling very emotional and trying to make a decision based on emotionality, many times, and most times, you look back and say the decision was the wrong decision. Uh, I'm not uh, um, advocating that there are times that when there needs to be a separation. I think sometimes separation is positive, where couples can get get to their own corner and breathe a little bit, right. get a perspective. Um, and not come back out to keep fighting, but to come back out and hopefully have a, a better perspective. One of the reasons I'm so strong in terms of inviting people to get into counseling, to go see someone like you, Cynthia, or like I say, a conference or read a book or whatever, is that sometimes we just need a perspective. I tell couples many times, just take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. This is not the end of the world. The, the big point, though, the, the most important point, though, Cynthia, as you know, and tell people take personal responsibility and willing to change and work on it together. There's not much um, you or I or anybody else can do. But when people are willing to change, the change is very possible and there's help available. Well, and I think that some of what your active respect is talking about is this idea of maybe that, that spouse of mine is not 100% on board wanting to change or wanting to work on things. But I can do my side. Exactly. And I can do my side as hard as I can with, with, you know, the support and the help of the Holy Spirit really helping me to have endurance. And, and I, you know, I say to clients, you know, if you want to be married 45 years, well, what's two bad years? Exactly. I mean, my wife and I have been married uh, coming up on 45 years. Congratulations. <laughs> That's we awesome. As, we got married as teenagers. Um, and I don't necessarily recommend getting married as teenagers, but... I'll tell you what, there are probably many times over the years that Donna could have tossed in the towel not getting what she expected. But when you when we we have a commitment to Christ, when we have a commitment to our faith, and then it allows us to get on the same page and work through problems. And we've all had times when it's difficult and uh, you just got to learn to to forgive. Absolutely. Well, listeners, we have one more segment with Dr. Carlson, so I want to really encourage you to hang in there. Join us back 
Join with us on uh, the end of this uh, commercial break with Dr. Randy Carlson. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. This is Cynthia Hyatt, and thank you so much for joining me. If you are just now tuning in, we have Dr. Randy Carlson on air talking about his new book, Starved for Affection, which is awesome. And if you have not been able to listen to this show in its entirety, please visit my website at CynthiaHyatt.com, and that is spelled C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com, and you can listen to the podcast. So, Dr. Carlson, thank you. And we were talking on the break a little bit about a conference that you have coming up. So please let us know what that's about. I have one of the passions of my life, um, Cynthia, and I know that you work with businesses as well, but one of the passions of my life are families in business. Um, I've seen personally the good and the bad, uh, the things that work well uh, and so on when family work together in business. And so when I was working on my doctorate, uh, I wrote my dissertation on the um, characteristics of family business leaders. And so we've had a passion as a, as a ministry of intentional living and family life communications to help families and business. And so we, we are going to put on a conference in Phoenix at the, at the beautiful Biltmore on May 28th and 29th exclusively for families and business, for couples, for uh, second, third generation, for founders. Uh, we've got some great speakers coming in, uh, including John Solheim, who's the CEO uh, and the president of the um, Karsten Ping Manufacturing in Phoenix. They make the Ping Golf Club. Yes, indeed. Which is a family business. And many other. We've got attorneys and uh, counselors, and we've got uh, business leaders coming to speak. And I'm going to get the chance to speak as well. And this is for families and business. And so if you come to our website, uh, you can check it out. Go to theintentionallife.com, theintentionallife.com, and we have uh, all the information there for you, and we'd love to have you come and be a part of it. Oh, that's awesome. I think that's exciting because, you know, we we all know that when couples and families are doing businesses together, it can either be the most bonding experience or it can just tear people apart. Absolutely, and when you see only one-third make it into the second generation, we can do better. And as Christians, we can really do better in terms of, of the legacy that we want to leave. Now, we're talking about marriage today, and you think about a family and business, and if a husband and wife are having marital problems, man, that's that's more than just uh, going home and being frustrated with an employee. You go home with the employee. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, and you know, really even more complicated. And with all those kids, you know, children involved in all the other employees, and, you know, we get all those negative associations that, you know, exactly. maybe that kid, that child would really like the family business, but the association with what they do is so negative, they just go off into a different, you know, whole line of work that maybe the Lord is going to have to try to get them back to the original. And sometimes that's the design, but what happens is there's there's so many dynamics, as you know, within a family that instead of, a, a, let's say, a son or daughter who uh, really is, should be le- leaving and going in another direction, maybe God has another plan for their life, it ends up being ugly. And it gets right, the exactly. flesh and it's negative and it's just not healthy. But I'll tell you what, when family businesses work beautifully, it's a powerful thing. It's a great legacy. And when you see half of the GDP in the United States uh, being produced by families and business and uh, about two-thirds of all new employment coming through families and business, 
pretty powerful group of people. So we're doing this conference uh, again on May 28th and 29th. So check it out. Come on over to the website, theintentionallife.com, and uh, you'll see the information there. Oh, I love it. That's awesome. So we we are in our last you know part of the show, and there's so many wonderful things that we that we talked about. And and listeners, I want to really encourage you again. This book, uh, Starred for Affection, I think is really powerful. Even if you are um, newlyweds, if you are premarital, if you've been married for 30 years, it's just a great way to reinvigorate, to heal, to encourage just the beautiful commitment that you originally made when you stood before God with all that expectation. So I want to really encourage you listeners to pick up this book. And and, and Randy, we were talking in the break about some ideas that you had that you'd like to kind of share just this last part of the hour. Yeah, I did a, a list. That we do something at Intentional Living. Uh, we call them the Intentionals with the emphasis on oh, I love that. the and the Intentionals. And it's a top 10 list on different topics of marriage and parenting and so on. And I sat down one day and I was thinking about people who were thinking of getting married. And I came up with a list of 10 reasons not to get married. Now you think, why are you doing that on a marriage show? Well, because if you are married, these are 10 things that I would encourage you to think about in terms of maybe I need to work on this in my own life today. To, make, not, the, to make the marriage work. Exactly. Yes. I'm not encouraging you to say, oh, see, I, he showed me, not, showed me how to get out of my marriage. <laughs> but I would say to people who are single also, if you're listening, these are things that are really important uh, to marriage. Number one, if, if you're unwilling to put the needs of another person above your own, if you, your marriage isn't going to work if it's all about you. Selfish people, as you know, Cynthia, don't do well in marriage. Uh, marriage is about giving and taking and sharing. It's, it's seldom 50-50. Right. Um, it's often 80-20, you know. Right. And so that's one. Another one is if, if you're easily offended or if you carry grudges or unwilling to forgive, I think in marriage, those are things that will kill you. And we talk. The Bible talks about a root of bitterness. So if we're just touchy, if if you're in your marriage, you feel like you're walking on eggshells all the time, you know, think about the process of how can we grow up so we can relate to each other as mature adults, which I know can be difficult. Well, I, I think that is such an important key, the not being easily offended. And I, I tell clients all the time how thankful I am that God is not easily offended mm. because we are so yeah. offensive to him if, if he would let himself be offended. And his ego is so solid and not fragile that he is able to love and tolerate people that are mistake-making and are in a process and are working and struggling. And we really need to actualize that in our own marriages and all of our relationships, really. Absolutely. That's, that's good insight. I think another issue that I, I put on this list was if you're, if you're an abusive person, mm. if you find yourself being mentally, emotionally, or physically abusive, and you kind of know it in your quiet moments that this is a problem. you got to deal with that. First of all, if you're not married, don't get married until you deal with it. If you are married, deal with that. That's a serious matter, and I, I'm sure you see that a lot in your counseling as well. Well, and I think there's a tendency to minimize it and make excuses, which is one of the ways that we know if we struggle with that that we are an abusive person, is how much we rationalize and justify bad behavior. Good thought. Also, the unwillingness to commit. If you're not a person that's real, really uh, easily... I'm mean, willing to make a commitment and stick with it without easily just violating that commitment. If you find that you have a problem with commitment and you're married today, well, you got to really pray about that. you got to really uh, stop and think about the reality 
of not being committed to your marriage. You and I have seen enough of the damage done when people get into a relationship and marriage and then don't stick with that commitment. It's damaging to the kids and to your faith and to your to your marriage and your spouse, obviously, but to yourself as well. So commitment's a big, big issue. Well, it's that understanding that commitment, you know, we, we confuse that passion with that's the thing that's going to fuel the commitment versus mm-hmm. commitment being a character issue. Absolutely. It really is. It is. It's a commitment issue. It's something that, uh, to take a look at in our lives. Another one of the, my top 10 list here of reasons not to get married was uh, if you have unresolved addiction problems. Um, you know, an addiction, talk about that a little bit from your standpoint, Cynthia. What do you see when you deal with addiction issues in marriage, not only uh, to um, alcohol or drugs, it can be addiction to other things as well? Well, I, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the more difficult things we have now I, I see in America is what we call process addictions which are being addicted to behaviors and things and feelings. You know, we have love addiction, we have, you know, gambling or overeating or workaholism or, you know, being addicted to a ritual or, you know, and it's, and and what happens is we have these subtle compulsive behaviors that, that we're doing to try to make ourselves feel better because we struggle as Americans finding peace and contentment and relaxing and, you know, and so I think what happens is, when we we have the the more concrete addictions that are you know substance addictions, those are always the third person in the relationship, and usually an addiction to a substance becomes the primary person in the relationship. So we have in some ways a, a feeling of infidelity, even though it isn't an actual person, you know. But when we have these process addictions, they just kind of fill up a lot of the space that the regular commitment and relational components are supposed to fill, and that's like spending time together and relaxing together and sharing things and, and expressing love. And, you know, what happens is that behavior takes over that, that compulsive behavior kind of fills in that, that gap. And then we leave that other person in our relationship, you know, fairly abandoned. Well, we see that far too often. Don't we? Yes, we do. We do. Especially in our culture, we're really struggling with that kind of stuff. Another thing I've been concerned about for people in marriage is this, uh, the, the career, when our career becomes the most important thing in our life. Um, and some people, that's a problem, and others it's not. But you and I have probably seen couples where marriages have been destroyed with both people in the marriage so busy, so preoccupied with their career that they kind of just uh, lose each other in the process. Exactly. And uh, some of that do, is that workaholism, too. Absolutely. Uh, do you share the same beliefs, values, and life priorities and vision? I, I put that on the top 10 list of things about marriage for, for singles to think about and if you're married to think about, because if you're not on the same page, I think of that little verse in Amos 3.3, how can two walk yes. together unless they be in agreement? And th- you know that, that's a key issue about not only our beliefs, which obviously is core, and our faith, but also our life priorities and our vision, the direction, and how we make decisions and how we parent and about money and all of these things. Uh, when we don't share the same direction, as you know, you get one degree off from each other and you get down the path very far, one degree, and pretty soon you're, you're pretty far from each other. I think that's so powerful because the idea, you know, I think Christians sometimes don't understand equally yoked because they have a tendency to think equally yoked means equally educated in the Bible. And, you know, I have found couples that, you know, one one spouse versus the other, 
One may be more educated biblically. They love the Bible. They love reading it. They like to go to conferences. And the other is highly committed to Christ and has a great love for it, but may not have all the words or, or all that, that kind of, of activity that goes with it. But, but it's believing the same thing. You know, and and, it, and it's walking it out in terms of of a character issue versus, wow, they go to they go to church every Sunday. I see them, you know, go to Sunday school. They they go to all the conferences. They read all the verses. They can, you know. So it, 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 I think it's important to really distinguish between that. So I, you know what? I'm so sorry. I have two minutes, and I want to get through your list. All right. Let me give you the last three. Uh, number eight. Uh, you are an un- you're unwilling to be an active partner sexually with your spouse. Um, that that's a real red sign, uh, red flag in marriage, as we know. The scripture talks about in First Corinthians about the power of being positive sexual partners in marriage. Um, another one was if you're unwilling to agree on an approach to handling finances, children, and life decisions. And then the last one is if you expect your spouse to change after you get married, don't do it. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, some of these sound like common sense and some of them sound, you know, we probably heard them before. And it really is that issue of being caught up in a feeling and thinking that that, that feeling and that passion can cover a lot of things. So in our last minute, and, you know, I could do a whole nother hour with you. So in our last minute, what would you like to really tell listeners? Well, I believe that God ordained marriage as a picture of his love for the church. And your marriage is worth working on. The pain associated with not making marriage work or allowing your marriage to fail is huge. You know that. And so I encourage you to make it work. And it's a matter of two people deciding that they want to make the marriage work and then getting the help in the process. And I think uh, programs like this, the books that are written, counselors like Cynthia and others that are available to get help. And then I always encourage couples to get plugged into a church where they're going to grow spiritually together. Get on the same page and uh, make your marriage work. Thank you so much, Dr. Carlson. And listeners, I really want to encourage you. The book, Starved for Affection by Dr. Randy Carlson. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Go ahead and go to my website at CynthiaHyatt.com to listen to this show in its entirety. And have a blessed we hope this past week. hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during this show are given as a way to teach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate or spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay at any time at FaithTalk1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ.